Lord Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the lamb that was slain. You're seated right now at this very moment at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you, Lord. Father, let us see you this morning in our worship and in our study. Lord, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about people. It's about you, Jesus. Let you, who you are, the person of who you are, be magnified in our service and draw people to your glory. Let them see the value and the worth and how you're worthy of it all. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Praise the Lord. Wonderful time of worship. Um, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Stephanie will bring you a Bible. Great to see everyone this morning. So we're, uh, we're taking a trip to heaven this morning. Not literally, but through the pages of Scripture by faith. This morning we'll be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 5. So if you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 5. And uh, we're going to make our way through the entire chapter. Um, last week, we, uh, we were looking at heaven. And we saw how majestic and how awesome and how glorious God's throne was. So really, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and actually Revelation chapter 4 and 5 actually go together. So this is part two of our tour of heaven. So uh, let's, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. It says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on back, sealed up with the seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Father, thank you for your word as we look at it this morning. Father, let us see you, Lord Jesus, today especially as the lion and the lamb. In Jesus' name I pray, Father, amen. So the title of my message this morning is The Lion and the Lamb. And the passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus is given two titles in, in, in verse five. Look at it, he says in verse five, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah and a lamb standing as if slain. Now, we've all seen the pictures of Jesus and the lion. You know, we all have the bumper sticker, the Facebook post, the hat, the T-shirt that has the picture of the lion, has the picture of Jesus. I think his name is Mike Lindell. He has that TV commercial where he advertises his stuff. And in the background, he has that picture of Jesus with the lion, if you ever see it on the commercial. What is the meaning behind that? What is the meaning behind saying that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Well, if you don't know what that meaning is, 
When you leave church today, guess what you're going to know? You're going to know what it means to say Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The second thing we want to look at in this text that I'm going to flush out thoroughly is it also says in verse 5, it says, a lamb standing as if slain. So three objectives this morning. One, we're going to look at what does it mean to call Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah? Second, we're going to look at the lamb standing as if slain. And thirdly, we want to look at the big picture of what is taking place in Revelation chapter 5. The heartbeat of the Calvary Chapel movement is to teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, precept upon precept. We want people to come and grow, and we just want to be a watering hole. We want you to be able to leave here and know more about Jesus, know more about the Word. That's why we study the Word, not so we can show off our knowledge or who we are, but we want you guys to be equipped and, and the Bible says you're equipped by the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Word. The Word of God is like water. It's like food for your soul. And like you sit home and you eat your dinner and you get your belly full. Well, it's the same way with church. You come to church, and not just church, but also you should be doing at home, reading your Bible. But we come to fill our souls with Scripture. Amen? So without further ado, let's dive into this amazing passage that presents Jesus as the victorious lion of the tribe of Judah, and at the same time, the lamb that was slain for our sin. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Take a look at your text. It says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So here in this very first verse, we have God the Father, in all his glory, in all his splendor, in all his majesty, he's on his throne in heaven that we talked about last week. And in his right hand is a scroll, and it has seven seals on it. The, the NASB uses the word book, but I think it's the King James. If you have King James Version, it uses the word scroll. I like scroll better. Scroll is a better picture of what's being depicted in the scene. So God the Father has a scroll in his hand, like a scroll that you open up and close. And across that scroll is seven seals. Okay? The Father has it in his hand. That's what verse 1 tells us. Then look at verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book or the scroll to break its seals? So here it says a strong angel. Here we have possibly Michael or Gabriel uh, asking in heaven, who is worthy? Who is worthy? So what happens is the search begins in verse 2 for someone with the highest honor someone with the greatest worth, someone who has the ability to approach God's majestic throne and take the scroll, okay? You ever seen that movie, uh, I think it was Indiana Jones, where, or when they go to open up the Ark of the Covenant and everybody just melts and they just, they just melt to pieces? That's what would happen if a human being approached God's throne, okay? Because God's throne is holy, it's majestic, and without being born again, without being washed in the blood of Jesus, you can't approach the throne. The only one that can approach the throne is someone that is perfect. So heaven is looking. Heaven is looking. Who is perfect? 
Last week, we talked about the throne and its beauty and its glory. And there's thunders and lightning and peals. This ain't no little yellow chair on some cloud up in the sky. This is a holy and majestic throne. And so who can approach it? Not good news. Look at verse 3. Initially, not good news. Look at verse 3. It says, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one could be found in heaven or on earth or under the earth. No human being, no person could be found in heaven or on earth or in hell who was worthy to approach God's blazing throne, his blazing throne, his holy throne, his majestic throne. I, I, I can't wait to see his, his, his throne one day in heaven. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful, family. Not to mention the Lamb of God is seated on it, but that day when you reach heaven and you see his throne, as we looked at last week, go back and look at my message, it's going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You think you've seen beauty in this earth? You, be, you think you've been to the Grand Canyon and seen the awe and the beauty of everything? Wait till you get to heaven. It's going to be mind-blowingly amazing. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you are born again. Know him and know him well because it's going to be worth it to see him in heaven. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, so, so, so first off, verse three, there's no one. They, they, they can't, there's no one in heaven. They're, they're looking around. No angels, no creatures, no people in heaven on earth. They can't find someone who's worthy to approach this throne and take the scroll. And he says in verse four, this is, this is killing John. He says in verse four, then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. So John, the apostle, is overwhelmed He's overwhelmed and he's weeping uncontrollably. Uncontrollably, He sees a book being extended from the right hand of God the Father and there's no one there to take it. There's no one there to take it. He sees the scroll. Somehow or another, he knows what's going on with the scroll because he realizes he senses the importance of the scroll. But, but he's looking around and he can't find no one. He's looking. What, what, who's going to take the scroll? Who's going to take the scroll? And look at verse 5. Now, I, remember we talked about the diagram of heaven last week. God the Father is on the center of the throne. The angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then it says there's four living creatures. We saw this last week. Four living creatures. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then around those uh, four thrones with the living creatures, last week we saw there were 24 subservient thrones. That means lesser thrones. And on those thrones were who? The elders. The elders. There was 24 of the elders. Most theologians, and I agree with them, most pastors teach um, that those 24 thrones are, are, are representatives from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The 12 tribes of Israel and then the, uh, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, showing that the entire body... Old Testament and New Testament. We're not two separate entities. We're all one body of believers trusting in the true and living God. But anyway, one of those elders on one of those 24 thrones says, hey, John, look. Look at verse, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, one of the elders on the 24 thrones said to John, he says, stop weeping. 
Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so has to open the book and its seven seals. So one of the elders on the throne surrounding God's throne brings good news. And he says, look, behold. That word behold, it's meant to grab your attention. Like, stop what you're doing. Look over there. That's the emphasis of the Greek word behold. It means let it grab your attention. So he's telling John, let this grab your attention. Look over there. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. So that brings me to my first question that I want to answer this morning. Why is Jesus called the lion of the tribe of Judah? And don't we just love this picture? You've seen it on Facebook. You've seen it on artwork. It's a beautiful portrait. And it's, it's given, a, a, it comes from Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. But why is Jesus called the lion of the tribe of Judah? Let's, 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 let's take a side road for a minute. and Let's dive into this subject. Here's the answer. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah because Jesus is the fulfillment of Jacob's prophecy to his son Judah found in Genesis chapter 49. You can, you're welcome to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 49, or we'll have the verses up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 49, please turn there if you can, if you'd like to, Jacob prophesies to each of his sons concerning their future. And then when you get to verses 8 through 10, Jacob is prophesying to his son Judah and Judah's future tribe. He's saying, son, this is what awaits you. This is what awaits your tribe. Now, there are some partial fulfillments for the tribe of Judah in the Old Testament. But Jacob's prophecy to Judah finds its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to break down Genesis chapter 49, verses 8, 9, and 10. And when you leave here today, you're going to know why Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. John is referring back to this prophetic passage in Genesis. So let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. It says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Now, if you know anything about Judah, he wasn't on the up and up in the Old Testament. He, he, he made a lot of mistakes. He sinned greatly. So uh, his, his father is saying to him, your brothers shall praise you. And what you need to understand in this phrase is the Hebrew word for praise, which is yada is always used for worship to God in the Old Testament. We yada the Lord God Almighty, meaning we, we praise the Lord God Almighty. That is a word that is used for praise and worship that's given to God and God alone, okay? Jesus, I'm, I'm going to give you about five of them. As we go through the text here, Jesus, number one, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah because he is worthy of all your praise. We praise the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We celebrate the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and we rejoice in the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The, why do we rejoice in him? Why do we celebrate the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Because of everything he's done for us. Family, he's rescued you. He has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has given you a new life. He's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. And for that, 
we praise him. He's giving you a new life. Before Christ, Pastor David was heading for destruction. I was heading for hell. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, turned my life around, and all I can do now is just praise him. Praise him with my lips. Praise him with my hands. Praise him with my heart, because he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You need a reason to praise him this morning? Praise him because he rose from the grave. Praise him because he died on the cross for your sins. Praise him because he defeated death, hell, and the grave for you. For you. Not just for us. Which you could say us. But make it personal. Christ did this for you. And when you fully understand the gospel and, and all the truth is given in the New Testament concerning Christ, all we can do is bow our hearts and say, Lord, you're great. You're awesome. I yada you. I praise you with all my heart. That's, why he's, that's the first reason why he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's continue. Verse 8. He says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Then he says, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Now, this phrase right here, the, this, the second line up there, the, uh, your hand shall be on, on the neck of your enemies. This could be said of Judah when they humbled themselves, humbled themselves and God gave them victories over their enemies. But this is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah because he will subdue Israel's enemies. At the end of the great tribulation, which will be there in a month or so, in, the, in, our, in our verse by verse study of Revelation, at the end of the great tribulation, at the battle of Armageddon, Christ, like a roaring lion, will strike down Israel's enemies with the breath of his mouth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. They don't stand a chance against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Nobody can stop this roaring lion. And those who come against Israel, those who come against the body of Christ, those who try to thwart God's plan, he's going to blow them out of the water. And he's going to remove them in their evil ways. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will crush every enemy that stands in the way of you and I doing God's will. If you are sincere in your walk with Christ, if you are sincere in doing God's will, if your heart's there, if your heart's not there, I'm not sure about it because your heart's got to be there. You got to give him something to work with. But if your heart is there and you're focused, the lion of the tribe of Judah will let nothing stand in the way of you doing God's perfect will. Nothing. Uh, and he, he will crush the lion of the tribe of Judah for the heart that's committed to him. He will crush your enemies. He will, he will, he will, he will annihilate them, just like he's going to do at the Battle of Armageddon when the enemies come against Israel. Making application to us Romans chapter 16, verses 19 through 20 says, Paul said to the church at Rome, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And here it is, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Praise the Lord. 
That's, that's just beautiful. That's why he's the lion. You know, the lion, the king of the jungle, no animal messes with the lion. You will lose that battle. You will lose that battle. Don't go against the lion. It's an unwinnable battle. Then he continues in verse 8. Let's look at the third part of, of Genesis 49, 8. He says, your father's sons will bow down to you. What does the New Testament say about people bowing down? Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah because every knee will bow. Christians that serve Christ, they will bow before Christ. They will bow their knee, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord in humble adoration. The ungodly world, those who are not born again, those who reject Christ, they will bow their knee also because the scripture says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And going back throughout all time, he says in, in verse 8, your father's sons shall bow down to you. The 12 tribes of Judah, all of Israel, all of the world, every single human being has an appointment. You have an appointment. And guess what? You're, you're not going to miss this appointment. You know, I'm not going to miss this appointment. Nobody's going to miss this appointment because God has ordained this appointment that every single person that's ever lived on planet earth will bow before the lion of the tribe of Judah. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and the honor of God the Father because he is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy. Some of us will stand before him in a reward. Some of us uh, in this world will stand before him in judgment but every knee will bow. That's why he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's continue. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? In other words, here again is that phrase, don't mess with the lion. Okay? The lion is ferocious. The lion is strong. And here in verse 9 is where uh, we get the symbol. Here is where we get the symbol for the tribe of Judah. What was their symbol? A lion. A lion. Judah's tribe was the largest in the Old Testament. They had the most land. If you go look in your Old Testament uh, maps in the very back of the kingdoms, you'll see that the top half of the nation of Israel was divided amongst all the other tribes, and Judah had the entire bottom half. They were the largest. They were the most powerful. And Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah because there is no one more powerful than him. Okay? So when you think about Jesus, don't think about this meek and mild person that just walked planet Earth 2,000 years ago. It showed people how to live, as some people will say. But no, he is the most powerful being in the universe. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is deity. 
He is omnipotent. He is the almighty, sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the creator, okay? He created us. We didn't create him. So, so he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where did Paul come from? Paul came from where? The tribe of Benjamin. You can trace most of the New Testament figures from a different tribe. Jesus uh, came from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, as well as David and Solomon did. They all, all three of those guys came from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, he says, And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. This prophecy in verse 10 was filled, completed to perfection. Judah, remember, if you look at a map, you'll see that Judah ruled the bottom half. That means they, they ruled the region of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and all the lower parts. Judah maintained the scepter and the rule in Israel up until the time of Christ. History tells us in 7 AD that Judah's rule and self-governance was taken away by Rome. There's even reports that... Uh, Pharisees and religious leaders walked the streets in wailing and mourning because the scepter had been removed from Judah and they didn't see Messiah nowhere and it, it killed them. But little did they know in 7 AD, guess who was on the scene? And as a teenager, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was on the scene on planet earth. He was the Shiloh or some people would say the Messiah. So Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah because he fulfills all prophecy of Scripture. Am I helping you guys out? The lion of the tribe of Judah? You're understanding that? So next time you see that TV commercial, you see that bumper sticker, or you have that shirt or the hat, you can say, hey, this is why he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's not just a title. There's a deeper, richer meaning to this name. And then the final one, the final, the last half of verse 10, it says, uh, And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The lion of the, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah's call to you and me. To surrender your life, to obey him. That's the essence of the gospel, is that he calls people to believe in him, trust him, and obey him. That's the call of the gospel. Matthew 16, 24 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Okay? This, what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with the gospel? It's simple. You say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I turn from my old life. I put my trust in you. Now, Lord God, by your power of your Holy Spirit, not in my own strength, not in my own will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, give me the ability to obey you, to walk with you, to live for you. It's, it's about a personal relationship, yes. It's about the Holy Spirit living inside of us and fellowshipping with us. But it's also when we come to that crux in life where we have a decision between the Spirit and the flesh, and we say, you know what, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to crucify my flesh, and I'm going to walk in obedience to you.
That's what it means to call him the lion of the tribe of Judah. So do you see it? Uh, Rick, please pull up on the worship slide, uh, slide number four. You know, um, where's Kevin at? Kevin, Kevin, no, 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 don't worry about Jennifer, don't worry about it. I I just want to give thanks to Kevin because he preached uh, my message uh, with with praise and worship. But this was the song that you were singing earlier. This was the song that we were singing. Remember we were singing, the lion and the lamb. Look at the lyrics. Our God is the lion, the lion of the Judah. He is roaring with power. Now, do you understand that? He's roaring with power. He's going to defeat his enemies. These lyrics that you were singing earlier during worship have deep meaning. And he's fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Do you see the connection between the worship song, Revelation chapter 5, and Genesis chapter 49? That's what it means to say he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So thank you, Kevin, for preaching my message this morning in praise and worship. All those songs. And then we're going to close this morning's song with, uh, is he worthy? And it it all goes back to this passage. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 6. Excuse me, Revelation chapter uh, 5. Look at verse 6. This is the second part of the message. After we saw the land of the tribe of Judah, in verse 6, look at Jesus' next title. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So now, in verse 6, John sees, what does he say? Look at the words. A lamb standing as if slain. Now, this is a picture of Christ But we're going to see by the words that are given that he's really, he sees a lamb. He he literally, John is given a vision in heaven of this lamb, this lamb that is standing. And this lamb is bearing the marks of being scourged and being crucified. That is Jesus. That is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being scourged and being crucified. The scripture says he was marred beyond comprehension. That after, after his scourging, after the cat of nine tails, after his crucifixion, he was beyond recognition. They, they beat him to a bloody pulp. The sinless, perfect lamb of God, who never did no wrong, suffered greatly for our sin. The, the lamb when we call Jesus the Lamb, what are we, what are we saying? What, what, what's the meaning behind Jesus as is the, is the Lamb, as we see in the picture? In, in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, that same word that John uses in Revelation, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you have John in Revelation saying, Behold the Lamb. Then you have John the Baptist back in John chapter 1 saying, Behold the Lamb. Do we see the picture? He's saying, stop what you're doing. Look at this magnificent lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says, the the prophet says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. When we say the lamb that was slain, the lamb standing as if slain, 
We're saying that Jesus was and is the sacrificial lamb for our sin. You see, in the Old Testament, in order to be forgiven, in order for sins to be atoned, they had to do what? They had to go to the tabernacle or to the temple, and they had to present a lamb, a lamb to be sacrificed. Friends, family, there's nothing new under the, earth, under the sun today. We need a sacrifice too. We need a sacrifice to God for our sin, and our sacrifice is the lamb of God. I, when I stand before God, I, I, I trust him now. Lord Jesus, I'm trusting in the lamb at the cross as to be my lamb for my forgiveness of sin. When I stand before God in heaven, I'm not trusting in my good works. I'm not trusting in my church attendance. I'm not, church, I'm not trusting in my ability to teach. I'm not trusting in nothing but the precious blood of the lamb. That is the only way for you to be forgiven. Not tradition, not church attendance, not any other religious duties. It's through the blood of Christ. It was the pure spotless lamb in the Old Testament that was sacrificed for Israel's sins. Jesus is the pure spotless lamb to sacrifice for our sins. And also the seven horns the, uh, that we see on this lamb, it, it symbolizes, even though he was a lamb, a pure, innocent, perfect lamb, this lamb possessed all of heaven's strength, all of heaven's power. It symbolizes his power. The horns of an animal represented their power to take you out. And then it says the seven eyes, these seven eyes on this lamb, they represent Christ's perfect omniscience, understanding, and knowledge. Okay? So in other words, yes, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, family. Whatever you're facing today, whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever thing you're facing with any and everything, the Lord Jesus Christ is the omniscient Lamb of God who knows exactly where you're at. And he stands ready to help you, to be there for you to encourage you, to bring you to a place of repentance, to, to come to him and have rest and to trust in him with all your heart. Let the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, be your shepherd. Be your shepherd, the one that takes care of your soul, the one that takes care of your life, the one that takes care of everything. That's the lamb that is standing. That is the picture of Christ. Verse 7 he says, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Only one is worthy to approach God's holy throne at this point in the book of Revelation, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's the burning question? What's the burning question that we should ask when we look at this chapter? What's in the book? What's in the scroll? What, 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 is, what is this scroll that God the Father has in his hand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to go to the throne and take the scroll. Man, something big is in this scroll. I don't know about you, but I want to know what is written in this scroll with the seven seals. What is in this scroll? It is the title deed to planet Earth. It's the title deed to planet Earth. You see, God gave the title deed um, to planet Earth to Adam and Eve in the garden. Go read about it. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. He says, take dominion 
over the earth. Then after they took dominion of the earth, what happened? Sin came in. Sin came in and Satan ruined everything and Satan took dominion. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse four, it describes Satan. It says, Satan is the God of this world. He is the ruler of the spirit of the power of the air. Why is there suffering? Why is there sickness? Why is there disease? Why is there bad things happening in this world? Family, it's not because of God. It's because there's an evil power called Satan that, that has wrecked everything. And it brought the fall. Adam and Eve ate the apple. They partook. And it brought the curse. It brought sin. And here in Revelation um, chapter 5, verse 7, here in Revelation, Christ is taking back the title deed to the earth. But before Christ takes it back, he's going to remove. You're going to like this. You're going to love this. Before, as he's taking back the title deed, before he's going to make everything new, Christ is coming down through the, through the great tribulation, through the wrath, and he's going to remove. He's going to remove. He's going to remove every trace of evil, every trace of sin, and every trace of wickedness. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm helping some of you guys this morning. That is the purpose of the book of Revelation. That is the great tribulation. Is God just up there being a meanie? He just wants to torture the earth in the great tribulation? No. In the great tribulation, this seven-year period that's coming soon, he is going to purge wickedness, evil, and sin. Who would not want that? Who would not want that? When we see injustice in the world, when we see things done wrong, when we see evil acts and we scratch our heads and we say, how in the world can that happen? It's because sin. It's because of Satan. And he's the ruler of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But God is going to take back, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take back the earth. But before he does it, this is, this is going to work our way all the way up to Revelation chapter 19. He's going to do it through the great tribulation. And then we're going to see new heavens and a new earth. Verse 8. Verse 8. It says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. As you... Let me go ahead and just give you the upfront picture of what's taking place in verses 8 through 14. Once heaven realizes the worthiness of Christ, once they realize how big and how awesome he is, it's, just, it's a revival. It's a revival, and it's worship, worship, and more worship. So let's, let's, here we go. Verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book, the scroll, and to break its seals. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood, Men from every tribe, every tongue, and people and nation. I just got to go there for a minute because it's just so amazing. When you look at Genesis chapter 49, you see the prophecy. You see the prophecy from Jacob to Judah. And then we, we looked at how Christ is the fulfillment of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, here in verse 9, you and I, Christian, you and I, family of God, we are going to be singing a new song. 
We are going to be yada. We are going to be praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 49 verse 8. We are going to be praising the Lamb of God. See, do you see that progression from the prophecy to Christ being the fulfillment to where in heaven, man, us along with all the Old Testament saints that look forward to Christ, we are going to be yada. We're going to be praising the Lord God Almighty. Verse 10, he says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Look at that, guys. Think, put your Old Testament cap on. Put your prophecy cap on. Think about this. It says at the end of verse 10, they will reign upon the earth. What did we see back at Genesis chapter 49, verse 10? We saw Shiloh coming, and he shall rule, the, he shall rule with, a, with a, a scepter, the Messiah. So now, as we get into the book of Revelation, as you get into the kingdom, you and I, friends, we're going to partake. We're going to partake in this kingdom in this literal 1,000-year reign of Christ that we'll see later on in Revelation. Verse 11, just a, this is just a revival. This is just a worship. This, is, this will be, be the, the best worship team that you've ever heard, better than anything you've ever heard on earth. Verses 11 through 14 says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, Thousands of thousands. In other words, the number can't be counted. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the seas and all things in them. And I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing, be honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. Do you notice Christ gets everything here? He gets everything. This is what sinful man wants in his pride. He tries to attain these things. But in the end, for believers, we will give Christ blessing, honor, glory, and dominion, and it will last how long, the verse says? Forever and ever. It's going to be glorious, family. It's going to be beautiful. Um, I talked about this last week, real quick. How many of y'all have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, we've got a handful of people that's been to the Grand Canyon. Uh, when you first go to the Grand Canyon, you see it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. It produces a buzz. The endorphins kick in. And you're like in a little heavenly buzz because you're just amazed and you're excited at everything that you're seeing, okay? As we talked about last week, in last week's chapter, that buzz that you experience, that amazing awe and wonder, um, after you've been at the Grand Canyon for a couple days, it will wear off. But when you get to heaven, that awe and wonder of the glory of heaven will last throughout all eternity, Another incentive for salvation. <laughs> Another beautiful benefit of being a believer is the joy that you're going to experience when you get to heaven. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't think we fully understand the magnitude of that verse. We, or we, we, we can experience it in this life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But the full ramification of that verse will be fully experienced when we get to heaven. 
And then he says, um, verse 13, I'm going to read verse 13. It says, in every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, here it is again, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Verse 14, and the four living creatures kept saying amen. And the elders, here it is, the elders fell down and worshiped. What did we see back in Genesis chapter 49, verse 8? What did he say about the brothers? He said that they would what? They would bow. They, they would bow. And one day, every knee will bow. All the tribes of Israel will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. I will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. When you, here, here, here's my thing in closing. When you rightly understand the title of Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, or as that song, which I love, the lion and the lamb, when you understand their full meaning, your mouth will be silenced. <clears throat> you will be humbled, and you will live a life of worship. If you just see him as this ancient historical figure, well, that, that, just some religious person that lived a long time ago. You know, you got Jesus and you got Muhammad and you got all these other figures. If you see him like that, you're not going to see the value of Christ. But if you see him for who he truly is, <clears throat> you will see his, you see his value. You will be humbled and you will bow in adoration. And again, the, the Christ in this chapter is approaching the throne. He's taking the scroll and he's going to open the scroll one by one. And inside the scroll is the title deed to earth. And inside the scroll, we're going to see the seven seals that you and I will be studying in Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Jesus is worthy to break the seals. Why? Because he's the Lamb of God who was slain. And he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, question for you in closing this morning. Does he carry this weight and this value in your life. If he doesn't, I hope he does now. I hope you understand how great and how awesome he is. Man, pray. Pray fervently. Say, Lord Jesus, please open the eyes of my heart. Let me see you as the lion and the lamb. And let that joy carry you in life. And no matter what we face, the good times, the bad times, and everything in between, our life can be focused on Christ because he is worthy of it all. Is he worthy? Is he worthy, family? Is the Lord Jesus Christ worthy of it all? Here, 2,000 years later, is he worthy of it all? And the truth is, yes, he is worthy. He's worthy. Understand that. Understand that. And family, as we get into these bowls, as we get into these seals, as we get into these judgments, understand this is God's cleansing plan. And is not only is it just God's cleansing plan, but it's actually the Lord Jesus Christ who's pouring out the wrath to cleanse the world of evil. This is going to be, this is a wonderful thing. The tribulation, some people think about the great tribulation, oh, they get all scared and like, no, that's not very nice. You know, they say all kind of weird things. But it's God's way of cleansing the world and preparing, and cleansing the world of evil, 
suffering, and all wrongdoing. And Jesus is the lamb that is worthy. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for every heart that is here this morning. I pray, Lord, that every believer will leave here, Lord, with a new, deeper understanding of you, Lord Jesus, as the lion of the tribe of Judah that's going to roar, that is roaring through his word in the world today. And Lord Jesus, you are the lamb. You're our sacrifice before God's blazing, holy, eternal throne. You are the lamb. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.